particularly when I was thinking about my own kids. I think it's this word you use, fatherless. It's not a phrase, a turn of phrase that we would use. When I was reading Psalm 68 verse 5, it really struck me. It says, father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his, his holy habitation. That my, like my kids were fatherless, but they weren't. Like God ultimately was the father of the fatherless. I found that immensely comforting. So we are now on episode five of our GLOW podcast. Good job, ladies. We are part of the Gospel Coalition Podcast Network, and we are so happy to be four women, Blair Lynn from the U.S., Sujin Park from the U.S., but born in Korea, and uh, our dear uh, Sharon Dickens from Edinburgh. That's how I'm choosing to say it. And we're just from different parts of the world, different cu cultures, but we're coming together to speak on what God is doing around the world which has been so enriching for the four of us. And um, we're hoping and praying that it's the same way for our listeners and you guys who are actually watching. So today we're going to um, just dive into a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. And uh, I want to start out just by sharing a little bit about how, as a family, we uh, grew to love and be a part of movement that cares for orphans. So my name is Aisha de Lopez. I'm from Guatemala. I was born there and we've lived there all our lives. Alex and I have been married almost 23 years and we are parents of four, almost um, all adults, I would say, even though it feels like four teenagers, really. Um, so it, they span from 20 years to 15 and my life is busy. Uh, the two oldest come from the miracle of, of uh, biology, and the youngest come from the miracle of adoption. And I get to say that really quickly in a sentence, but it's been <laughs> quite a process. Um, when we were dating, the subject came up about adoption. Uh, my husband went through testicular cancer when he was younger, and he didn't receive any radiotherapy Uh, but they'd go through chemotherapy, and I thought I should mention this while we were dating. Like, if we weren't able to conceive biologically, um, how would we handle this? And this is not, uh, this is a personal stance for me. This is something that I believe was right for us. I wouldn't uh, want 10 years to go by and us fighting for, you know, fertility treatments and spending your life and your money and your emotions and your whatever on getting pregnant. So I said, if in two years we don't uh, conceive naturally or biologically, then how about we adopt? And he said, mm, okay. And that was about as deep a conversation as we had when we were dating. You have to take into account that I really wasn't deep into the gospel. And as you can see, it was a plan B for me. It started out like, hmm, this is a, an idea that I could, you know, come to accept in something useful, you know, if my plan doesn't work out. And it turns out we actually have uh, the two oldest, and it was easy pregnancies, easy births, and it was a boy and a girl, a girl and a boy. Uh, in our culture, having, a, 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 you know, both genders, it's like you won the, the lottery, like you're made. And so we were 
a complete family. But the Lord, um, I can't uh, talk about our adoption journey without talking about my gospel journey. So they're very much parallel. And we just recently talked about the prosperity gospel. And I have to, sadly, uh, touch that point on this episode about orphan care in church because um, a lot of the uh, beliefs that I, that were in, in, ingrained in me affected the way that I saw orphan care. And so by, uh, by grace, when I started to view the Bible and see who Jesus was and the person that he is and the Savior that he is, it opened up my eyes to our, my own adoption in him. And, and by doing that, naturally what grew in me was this, it reminded me of my very naive, you know, inclination to adopt when I was younger. It's like the Lord reminded me of it. And so I started to pray intermittently uh, about adoption. And I grew dissatisfied with this whole world that we were uh, surrounded by, the mega church and the whole, you know, uh, we were made. Uh, but I was dissatisfied. And what you said in the last episode about the prosperity gospel, you go go watch it if you haven't. Um, it's so true. And I felt an emptiness. And it wasn't an emptiness that... Um, was to be filled with kids. It was to be filled with Jesus. And and Jesus ha- had been calling me to this work. So anyway, um, I started volunteering at an orphanage near my house. Um, and that just became a doorway into another world. It was not statistics. It was not uh, informative. It was transformative because I was getting to see little faces and stories and laughter and, and tears up close every week. And this is what opened my eyes to the possibility of adoption. And then, so um, my two kids at the time came with me and heard the stories and heard the prayers. And one night, my then eight-year-old boy asked, you know, very matter-of-factly, Mom, when are we going to adopt? <laughs> and I'm like, well, God's doing something. So I said, well, honey, if he wants us to, he has to, you know, work in all of our hearts. And so that child prayed from that night on until his sister came like a year later. In March 2014, we adopted the first time. Uh, Darley was six and a half. And then a year later, uh, we adopted again. Uh, Evelyn was nine and a half. And so we became a family of six in a matter of two years. Um, and it's a very long story, but it had, has opened my eyes to so many realities that, you know, in, in the natural realm that point to the eternal reality and how it is intertwined, the, the pulpits, the, the, the lack of Bible soundness or whatever you call it, you know, Bible literacy, how it just affects the way we actually embody the gospel. So orphan care is not an option. It's something that we were mandated to, you know, go do. And it's not only about adoption and foster care, which we are called to, but 
we are actually uh, called to all sorts of uh, ways to care for the orphan. So as a matter of introduction, I, gave, I shared a little bit of my story, but um, the real root of everything is the Word of God. And James 1.27 says, religion, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So it's a powerful verse, um, but what other um, verses you see all over the, the Bible that point to this kind of reality or work? For me, I found, um, particularly when I was thinking about my own kids, I think it's this word you use, fatherless. It kind of, it's not, it's not a phrase, a turn of phrase that we would use. But when we were, um, when I was reading Psalm 68, verse 5, it really struck me. It says, Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his, his holy habitation. That, that my, like my kids were fatherless, but they weren't. Like God ultimately was the father of the fatherless. I found that immensely comforting. Um, so yeah, Psalm 60, 68 for me, verse 5. Yeah, that, I mean, that past, both of those passages have resonated with me, um, you know, having written on fatherlessness and uh, and kind of expanding the view of what it means to be an orphan, because of, often we do think of only those who uh, are waiting for adoption or waiting to be fostered, but there are so many single parent homes that are here in the United States. A lot of a lot of children who don't have their father in their home, and they're right here in our pew. Um, and I think, like me being one of those, <laughs> you know, being raised without my father in the home, um, I really did have to turn to the Lord as my father and learn what it means to have a heavenly father in God. And, you know, you talked about it, Aisha, about our spiritual adoption and, you know, the impact that that has upon all of us that, you know, here's this beautiful doctrine that you have God, the father who says, I am going to take sinful humanity um, who really in one sense is without a father, right? Because they are filled with sin, um, far from God, have made them, we made ourselves an enemy of God. And God says, I'm going to love you. And not only am I going to love you and forgive you of your sin through sending my son, you know, to absorb my wrath, uh, to take on your sin and to make you righteous in, in, in view of you trusting in Jesus. But I'm going to love you, <laughs> you know. I'm going to love you, and you're going to be my child. Um, you know, Ephesians 1, it says, you know, in love, he predestined us for adoption. And that passage, I mean, I think really can be used to give all of us a heart of compassion, of understanding that this is us. Why does God tell us to have a heart for the fatherless? Because we at one time were fatherless. We didn't have our heavenly father and he came to us. And so how can we extend love, loving our neighbor, you know, as, as ourselves loving because we've been loved uh, by our God. And so, yeah, those are a few passages that have encouraged me. Yeah. I think it's so important to make, um, to not assume people understand how we stand before the holy God. Uh, we take it 
uh, we take it for granted, our title, sons and daughters, and we accept it widely. Like very few people will fight you over that title. We love the title, but we don't sit and consider how it happened. We did not belong at all. And, and by the sacrifice of our oldest brother, now we have a title that wasn't ours We by adoption. Uh, I remember years ago, I wrote uh, a Facebook, uh, you know, status, and it read something like, Christmas is when our father sent our brother to sign our adoption papers. And when I hit enter <laughs> and I posted it, I knew it was going to be controversial in Latin America. And the comments were, you know, how dare you? We are not adopted. We are real sons and daughters, which points to, again, the lack of us, our time in the Bible, because it's, it's explicitly said, I mean, time and time again, that we, we have a God who has the spirit of adoption. It's not a made-up word. It's not something that we translated into our languages. It's there. It's in His DNA. Um, so the, the church uh, should reflect that spirit. Um, and something that needs to be addressed, and uh, actually we can talk about it here because there's so many angles, is um, what are your thoughts on cross-cultural adoptions? Uh, what's your what's been your experience and what are your thoughts on that I think this is a hard topic right it it's is. a weighty topic and I don't know if there's a clear yes no right wrong um, and maybe it's circumstantial but I think one thing that um, we did talk about a little bit before preparing for this episode is the idea or, or the reality that in all of our contexts in America Scotland Guatemala um, Our foster care systems are filled to the brim, and a lot of our children are not being adopted domestically, but they're being adopted internationally. And so where's kind of the balance of, you know, where do we take accountability and responsibility for caring for the children in our own midst versus, well, if someone else is willing to take care of them, should we encourage that, right? I think there's a lot of, a lot of things you can consider. You know, one of the things that I shared with you guys is I looked it up, and in Korea, the out of all adoptions, only 4% happen domestically. And I think that really saddens me. Um, I think culturally, there's a lot of pushback in the Korean culture, I think East Asian culture in general, against adoption. I think there's a strong belief in passing down your blood, your genetics, right? That's really strong. And I see that even in the Korean American culture, sadly, even amongst Christians, I don't see a lot of adoption happening. I don't actually hear a lot of people talking about adoption. And so in a place like Korea, um, you know, when so many kids are being adopted internationally, should you discourage that? Or, you know, how, how do you go about that, right? I feel like there's no right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say um, I wouldn't want to discourage it at all because um, it is a good thing. You have children who need homes, They need families, and you have families who are willing to love them and take them in. Um, I would just say, and is there a way to expand uh, your view of what it looks like to adopt? That there are people right here, you know, who are close in close proximity to you. Um, many children who 
don't have a home also. So is there a way to consider them as well? And you know, I think one of the things when it comes specifically to cross-cultural adoption is I think it's important to realize that the child that is coming into your home does come with a culture. And it's important not to snuff that culture out or just, you know, say that that child must assimilate. I know, um, and, and I've had friends who have been adopted. I remember a sister I went to college with, and she said, I asked her, um, you know, what's your heritage? You know, she reminded me of another friend of mine who's from Jamaica. And she said, you know, I don't know. I'm adopted. And she says, I don't want to know. I have no desire to know. Um, and then I know that there could be another person who very much wants to know, you know, and very much wants to have a sense of culture or, you know, kind of identity as it relates to the flesh, you know, and, and so what does it look like to celebrate the fact that there's diversity in your house? I know, for example, a big issue that has come up when either African American children are adopted or African children are adopted is just making sure that you keep them rooted in, you know, their ethnicity, Making sure, if we can be really frank, their hair is combed well. You know, like these are things that you have to learn. You have to humble yourself to go outside or step outside of what's uh, quote unquote normal for you and realize, no, there's a different way, you know. Um, and so one way is not quote unquote normal. We're just different. We're all made in the image of God. We have different hair types. And so that's going to require some learning. And so I think, yeah, what does it look like to to learn in the process? Not just come in as like, here I am just going to rescue this child. But I think the Lord is wanting to teach in the midst of that. Yes. I don't know. What do you guys think? Amen to so much. Amen to all of what you just said. Um, first of all, to acknowledge that you do not own the child. N and that's just motherhood general. <laughs> but in adoption, it needs to be said more often. The fact that a child is now part of your family does not erase the family of origin. And um, we have to be open to walk in their grief because it's, it's absolutely there. Even if they come an hour old into your arms, that child is being, you know, um, taken or given and not, you know, staying with their family of origin. And that is going to carry grief. And you have to be open to that and be able to be a safe spot for them to process all that. Um, and that comes with a, a lot of, you know, uh, messiness. And that's part of the adoption journey. Um, also, I would love for the church to look at orphan care in a broader way. And maybe we are not only called to adopt domestically. In Guatemala, International Adoption closed uh, about 12 years ago due to so many uh, acts of corruption and, and human trafficking and horrible stories. We have young adults now looking for the roots and so many horrific stories of kidnapping and, and abuse that went on. So it had to be shut down. And that, in a way, encouraged locals, you know, national adoption to be more uh, prevalent. We still have a long way to go. But I would love to see Christians preventing the breakup of families. I would love for the church in Korea 
to come alongside and see, okay, why is this is this rupture happening? Why are so many kids in the foster care to begin with? In the U.S., I see so much good movement. I see Christian moms and dads, you know, getting trauma informed, uh, which is wonderful. But we need the church to be more proactive in praying for the family of origin and wanting the re- reunification and, 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 you know, evaluating our motives to want to help a child in need. And again, it comes back to, are you humble enough to recognize that you yourself were an orphan? It's not, here I am, I'm the savior, I'm coming. No, it's how can I be a vessel in this family's life? Ultimately, the child is not isolated. He belongs to a circle, to to a community, to somebody. And the church needs to be aware of that, you know. And um, I would love uh, for you, uh, Sharon, to share a little bit about um, the kids that you have welcomed into your home and not in a formal way, because it's not an adoption where you sign any papers, but... I would love for you to speak on that because sometimes we we get we get um, blindsided by the formality of what it's supposed to look like, and I would love for you to share. I don't think I would. I mean, we do. I do call them my fake kids. Um, I do actually treat them. <laughs> they like are my real. Kids they are real people. <laughs> right, they are yeah. real people. Okay. I did not give birth to them. Um, I think it's part of. I feel that when we're having these podcasts, they're all one conversation. Um, they all inter, like, interject into each other. And I think it's part of how we show hospitality through discipleship. And so for um, some of the, the the young Christians who, I mean, they're beyond, I mean, they're 18 plus. They, they don't need adopting and they have parents. Um, but actually for whatever reason, um, sometimes that there's it would be better if they just came and lived with you. And so there's been a couple of girls that um, that I have had live with me. Um, one that kind of um, became part of my family in the early days. Um, sometimes I would come home and her and my daughter would gang up on me and like, look at the watch and go, where have you been? And I'd be like, wait, what? I'm the mum. How did this happen? <laughs> um, and then like later um, when when I moved out and my my kids are adults and independent, I mean I still I still do that. I have had um, girls, ladies, um, eighteen plus, some much older in their twenties, come and live with me. And actually at the time when we had this idea of caring and orphans as a script, I was thinking I, I don't know if I have anything to say about this. I've not adopted. I've seen it done because we have people in our church. I mean, we have a project um, in Scotland that's called Safe Families that gets alongside families and helps them keep their kids. But then when we were talking last night, I was thinking, actually, so much of this is just having someone in your house. Um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was it was you, Blair. It was talking about this older lady that used to bring home older ladies and disciple them. Um, as, I think it was 18 plus, And that's what it's like. Um, and I think what I've learned more is, I mean, we talked about this um, outside of this chat, is more about um, who my sinful self is. Um, like having an, other adults and having other Christians in your house only brings to the surface things that are within me that need to change. Um, it's been a, such a, a privilege to be able to be part of um, young Christians' lives and um, 
be part of their, their growing into maturity and even the way that you teach them. So we instinctively teach our kids how to be independent adults. But the same needs to be the same of our, our, like our, our young Christians. And so some of these young ladies who came and lived with me, they would have been less mature in the faith, new believers. But whereas now they've grown up in the faith and our relationship dynamics changed. And you've gone through the baby stages and then the, the teenage stage. And then even as adults, you're teaching them as, as equals. We are one another in each other now, how we talk into each other's lives. And so it's been... Um, really encouraging but it's not like you say without your difficulties in having people that are inside your house with sometimes complex backgrounds brings with it things that you need to think through Um, but also think through for yourself none of us come without baggage right and one of the things that's um and it's interesting I, I write about this too just how the lord has used the church so you know when there's brokenness in the family structure um the lord blesses us oftentimes with spiritual fathers spiritual mothers right spiritual sisters spiritual brothers and um you know i think sometimes we wrestle with how do we care for um you know those when we're not officially as you said adopting or fostering and it, it, I think it can look like, yes, opening up the scripture with those, you know, who need it, um, a more formal discipleship. But I think even what you're saying, just having someone in your home and, you know, that's kind of my story. I was able to be invited into someone's home and to observe them doing family worship for the first time. Like, whoa, we didn't do that coming up, um, you know, to sit down and have a meal around the table. Uh, my mom, we, you know, worked as a single mom and we were latchkey kids. So we often didn't do that coming up, um, you know, to be able to have someone you can call when your tire goes flat or when you need like an oil change or whatever, like, you know, to say, I'm thinking through college. I just need somebody to process this through me to do the things that maybe if you had a father in your life, what would that look like? You know, if you had a mother in your life, you know, how did they walk through life with you? And just knowing that there's so many people who just have that absence. And, you know, to know, I remember when I went to college, I didn't have my family there. I didn't know I needed to bring like towels. Do you know what I mean? Like there was no one there. I went to college by myself. And I brought my clothes like I was showing up to a hotel. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, And so I had to go back home like, oh, I need more things. Um, you know, so to just have someone to walk you through the basics. How do you do your taxes? How do you, you know, like, I, I think that those are the ways that we can, that kind of informal discipleship, life on life, that so often is missing. We have people who they may be able to break down the scripture and exposit a text, but their life is in shambles and no one's like actually like digging in to say, let me get to know you, share your story with me. Like what's it been like not having a mother or a father in your life? And thinking back on some of the things that we've said in previous podcasts where we were talking about how we influence people. I mean, that's what Titus 2 is talking about. We influence by the way that we do life on life with people, teaching them how to in the hardest, most difficult moments, um, to, to live it out as a godly woman or guy. Yeah, and um, I, th- I think like when we think about topics like adoption or caring for the fatherless or orphans, people get overwhelmed. Like, I can't do that. But I think just hearing you guys speak, 
It's just a matter of being aware of the needs in your community and being willing and able to fill those needs. It just starts small, right? And I think that should be an encouragement to all of us and also a challenge, right? Um, I think we talked about yesterday in our side conversations how we've become so selfish with our time and we are so unwilling to give that. Um, But if we are to do all these things, it's not you don't start with the huge, overwhelming task. You start small and you identify who are the people in my own vicinity who have these gaping needs that I could easily fill right now. And um, I just want to encourage everyone listening. We're not making a call for you all to adopt and foster, but you can embrace a family that has. Like I couldn't do what I'm doing if I didn't have the love and support of the body of Christ. Like, maybe you are not called to adopt. Not everyone is. More people are supposed to be doing it, I'm certain, but not all of us. But all of us can do something. That's a quote by Jason Johnson. He says it all the time. Look him up. He's amazing. And maybe you are not meant to, but you can pay for the dentist bill. That's expensive. And when you decide to adopt, Kids come with all kinds of needs. Maybe that you need a tutor for math, and you can do that. Um, Just think of ways to get close and be observant and be humble enough to ask, how can I help? Or don't even ask. Bring the meal. Bring the meal. Get it over and say, this is dinner. You know, (laughs) that's it. Uh, So maybe it's not even... um, the big thing that you think God is laying upon you, maybe it is, but start with one thing, like you said. That's so important. And it's and it's meaningful. I mean, I've been, we've been thinking about this a lot, my friends and I, um, because there's um, some people in our congregation that are um, social workers and some who, we talk about adoption quite a lot, usually around whether single women should adopt Actually, I've been quite challenged recently about the fact that um, even though so I am not called to adopt, like my lifestyle is just not, I, I can't cope. Um, but the reality is that actually I can do something. So like, like you were saying, and it's that thinking through. So even thinking through being on like, so we would have something like a social work panel where social workers would be involved in a family's life and then they have advocates and so actually Christians can be involved in those voluntary roles, such an effective way to have like to, to be a voice for a child that needs it without actually so there's lots of way to be involved with those that, that need cared for. Absolutely. And we just need to think about it intentionally. Absolutely. And you talk about singles and adoption, and that deserves a, an episode in itself. But since you mention it. Uh, I I think it's worth our while to spend a minute on that, and that is one of the most frequent questions that we get. We I work with Christian Alliance for Orphans in Latin America, and uh, um, it's it's a question that arises quite a bit. Um, so, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there, there was a sister who I attended church with. Who um, she was an older single sister and desired to be married, but the Lord has her single, and she just used her singleness so well. And one of the ways that she did that was through fostering, and she fostered uh, older um, young women 
So maybe around from 18 to 21, which is kind of the transition years from when they uh, go out on their own, she would be there for them. And I know she has fostered at least two women. Um, And it's been an encouragement to see these women attend church with her and, you know, get to know some of these young women Um, and for her to create for them a forever family, as she would say. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing, um, you know, when you think through legacy and the responsibility that we're called to and how the Lord can use us may not have biological children, but you can still be a mother, a spiritual mother. Um, And yeah, it's been beautiful to observe her life, not waiting. You know, I think some people will say, well, I'll wait until I'm married, you know, to take this on. Uh, It's been really sweet to see her take it on. Trust the Lord. Yeah, I think um, it's a high calling. And I do see lots of single godly women doing this work in a very wonderful way i would just um a word of caution say check your motives and this is true for anything that we do in the christian walk right check your motives and um see that you're not looking for validation or that your identity is in doing and fulfilling a role but in jesus and secondly, you need a support system, a really like strong support system that is it with it, with you in it for the long haul. Because this is a marathon; it's not a sprint. So you're gonna need all the support that you can uh, for you and the children that will come to your home. Um, it's not easy; it's intense, as all mothering is, but. You know, all adoption entails trauma, and and trauma brings trauma. So it's you need a lot of support always. So as a single woman, that's what I would say is like so fundamentally important for you to take care of. I think um, this is probably one of the things that I have um, I've spent days thinking about, only because some of this conversation that we've had earlier. So I would have been a single mum, knowing how hard it is, um, knowing that that's not the idealistic picture that God would want. Um, my pushback on, on it has always been that I would personally feel that if a single woman wanted to adopt, um, I would challenge, like you say, but but from my perspective, um, I've always felt it's it's not something as a single woman that we should be doing. And then we were talking yesterday uh, and you started, to, and so in my head I'm thinking, single mom with babies, I remember how hard that was. Um, why would, like, if you've not got, like, all those things you've just cautioned us with, Aisha, the, um, the fact that there's, there's, there's no support, that you're doing it all on your own, that you've, um, every responsibility is yours. And so all those thoughts is what's fueling my thinking. And then we were talking yesterday, Blair, and you mentioned this lady. And so in my head, I'm thinking adopting two-year-olds and then suddenly you're talking 18-year-olds and I'm thinking that's not a thought that I've had before, which is actually when you think about it, we were having the same conversation, but from a different perspective. And so there's there's all those elements that in my head, if you'd asked me this question three days ago, I'd have been far more assertive in my assumptions of what I don't think is helpful. Um, I'm sure I'm not I'm not moving from them, but actually I'm rethinking how I view that from a different perspective. 
Um, but it, I, I can't imagine why. I mean, having been a single mum of two kids and every, every responsibility is on your own, you've got nothing to share, um, no one to share it with. The, the, and I know that the church family can come along. Um, and so the pushback I usually get from people is, well, surely that would be a better home for kids to be brought up in than um, in, in, a, in a foster care home. And there's no, in my head, there's nowhere to go with that because you know the reality of what every day's life um, must have been the same for your mum, everyday life of what it was like. Um, but then also this this biblical principle of what um, a, a godly home looks like in headship and how can you bring that when there's there's no male there. And so I wrestle with that in that conversation. And so I, you're right, it's a whole episode that what I'm trying to say is my thinking is started to I'm starting to reevaluate what my thoughts were before it started. Mm. And, and it's interesting how, you know, the Lord gives grace, <laughs> even as you were saying, you know, earlier, you know, it's not to put the pressure on everyone to say you need to go out and adopt. I think there's grace uh, for each individual and for the call that the Lord has given them. Uh, I was just thinking about like Amy Carmichael, you know, <laughs> like, you know, her, taking on an orphanage, you know, and, and caring for children. Um, I'm sure it's hard. I'm like caring for my three children is hard right now with a husband, you know, like how much more difficult as a single mom, you know, or as, uh, you know, you think of Amy Carmichael who had multiple children that she was caring for at the same time. Um, but I, I trust that the Lord will give grace if he's called you to it. And he'll provide the community that you need, the support that you need. Um, and if not, then maybe that's not your call exactly. right now. You know? Yes, absolutely. We have so much more to talk about. And another episode could be caring for the adult adoptee. Because you're right. When you think adoption, you think babies. But they grow up. And they grow up without processing so much and uh, I just um, encourage you to pray for the whole array of people that are involved in the adoption um, story, which is supposed to be all of us, uh, especially adoptees. Uh, we have a support uh, group we opened during the pandemic via Zoom for adult adoptees, and I've learned so much from just hearing them. And the relief that they get from having a, sp a space to process their experiences. And uh, it's a humbling experience. So so it's been a great conversation. I loved going into everything that we talked about. And especially James 127, where we revise what true religion looks like and feels like. And of course, we didn't cover all ground. So if you're interested in knowing more, check out the notes for the episode. We're going to post some links there to help you uh, deepen the uh, your knowledge. And of course, we didn't even touch on the subject of widows. So we look forward to speaking on that and look for the links. Anyway, stay tuned because we are, God willing, going to keep on talking about all of this. I love this discussion. I thank God for this space and for everything that he has been doing in our own hearts as we share uh, for the sake of the ladies that are listening to us. And now it's time to shine a light on our differences. What is the most or the best um, place that you went to as a child? Like 
what is one of the most memorable places that you have in your mind as a child? Well, speaking of, um, you know, being raised by a single mother, my mother didn't have a whole lot um, as she cared for my sister and I. Um, But one day we were getting ready for school. I was in the first grade. So I don't know what, eight, seven or eight. And she got us ready for school. And rather than walk us to school, she actually got us on a bus, the city bus, and drove, the bus took us to Disneyland (laughs) for the day. Um, So I'll never forget ditching school (laughs) the first time I ditched school um, to go to Disneyland. So that was one of my most memorable moments as a child. fantastic. (laughs) How about you? I was also going to say Disneyland the one time we visited the States, but I thought more about it last night. And Actually, this image of visiting my grandmother's house, um, grandma, grandfather at the time in Korea, and my great-grandmother was alive, and I just have this really distinct memory of her in a particular area of the kitchen just making food. And there's something about that memory that lingers with me, and I just remember my great-grandmother's smile, and every time I would go, she would be there cooking, and it just stuck with me. And I think it's just amazing that these kind of really simple memories are what end up <laughs> sticking with you over time. Um, I'm a bit like Suja and I had this image in my head um, of like my favourite beach when I was a kid. But then I started to think a bit more on the topic. And I remember as a child, every um, Saturday morning, my dad would take me and my brother out to um, a special place. Um, and so every single week it was a different special place and we never knew where the special place was. And then I remember, um, and it was amazing. Um, I mean, it was just dad hanging out with us. But I remember um, when I was about 17, walking past um, this bridge thinking, oh, this is this is a special place. Now I know what it's called. Um, so it was just normal, average places. But he would never tell us where they're. So there's all these places all over Edinburgh that I don't know the actual name of in my head or just oh that's one of dad's special places that's That's, sweet that is fantastic uh now that everyone's changing their minds because we're just talking about (laughs) stuff and then we our mind keeps going apparently i i will say um my grandfather's uh like space wagon like uh the wagon the the car it had a station wagon. Or? Station wagon, yes. Uh, my father worked for the banana fruit company in 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 a coast in in my country, and we would go visit on holidays. And it's so hot there, and the 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 seat is this fake. Uh, uh, it's not. It's not. Uh, skin. It's uh, it's not animal skin. It's like leather, maybe or something. Uh, like yeah, some, but it's fake, so it sticks to you. <laughs> and I remember it sticking to me. But the smell, it was always like the mixture of banana and uh, and the smell of the s- synthetic uh, fibers in inside the car. And it was just so fantastic to go over to the general store, and he would get a. A little cone. It's a plastic cone filled with ice cream, and then there's a, a gumball at the end. It was just fantastic. <laughs> it was the best. It was the best. And and the screen doors on the house. I mean, that kind of you're you're making me remember that. And the smell is just so distinct, and it just stuck with me. So it's not maybe the the grandeur of the of the place, although I loved it. 
but it's just, I guess, the presence, and it all go all goes goes back to relationship, right? All goes back to relationships. So that's sweet. Yeah. So I have Disneyland, and you guys have all the deep relational. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you have your grandmother's cooking yeah. and the, the story. That I mean. True. Disneyland was relational. It was. I mean, yes. it was. Yes. Fantastic memory. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Um, well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Glow. Remember that you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill shall not be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a basket, but on a light stand. And it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope we'll see you guys next week on GLOW. GLOW is a part of the Gospel Coalition Podcast Network. To listen to more shows by TGC, visit tgc.org slash podcasts.